It is a privilege to worship the Lord, isn't it? It's, it's a privilege, and it's also a responsibility, a duty that God calls us to. But tonight I want to answer uh, or address uh, a, a difficult question. What if, what if you find it difficult to worship? What if you can't bring yourself to worship? What if your heart is troubled? There's something you're facing and is breaking you, and you cannot find the will to worship, then what? Well, the truth is, we sometimes find ourselves feeling lost, don't we? But the truth is, God always gives us words that will map our way when we're lost. Many years ago, I discovered Psalm 77. I'd like to read it for us, and with God's help, we'll consider it together. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years of long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this. To the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is God's Word. Let me pray for us. Spirit of the living God, we pray 
that you would open the eyes of our hearts in order that we might see the hope to which you have called us in Jesus. And we pray, Holy Spirit, working together with your word, you would lead us out of the dark into the land of the living, that you would strengthen our hope. In Jesus we pray. Amen. When you've lost your will to worship, God gives you words that will map your way back. First of all, verses 1 through 9, words that invite your lamentation. And secondly, in verses 10 through 12, words that steer your determination. And finally, in verses 13 through 20, God gives you words that fuel your celebration. Let's consider those in turn. First of all, when you've lost your will to worship, God gives you words that will map your way back. Words that invite your lamentation. What is the psalmist facing? A moment of trouble. We're not exactly sure what that trouble might be. It could be spoken in the experience of the exile when God's people were sent out from the promised land because of their disobedience. We're not exactly sure, but what we are sure of is that the psalmist is experiencing great loss in the day of trouble. Now that's an invitation for you to bring your loss to the table. What are you facing? What is your trouble? Now there's a strange comfort in this passage because it shows us that God sees and understands our trouble. Most of the Psalms are written in the minor key. When you get to Psalm 145, 146, 147, on to 150, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of celebration. But most of the Psalms identify with our suffering. How is the psalmist responding? He begins with a prayer of lament, a response of desperation, a yearning for salvation. And notice that it's a lament that is laced with three elements. First of all, verses 1 and 2, faithful entreaty. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord, in the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Now this is faith in action. Faith in suffering. Notice the direction. The psalmist is not turned in on himself. He's actually turned out. Faith is not introspective. Faith is extrospective. And out of all of the places where the psalmist could look, he looks to God. I seek you. Now sometimes our Christian life we're hitting on all cylinders and we're running and we're leaping like a gazelle and all things good. Sometimes we're walking. Sometimes we're crawling. Sometimes we're not even moving. 
but we're looking in the right direction. It's all about the direction. Do you see the faith on display here? The direction. I cry out to you, O God. And notice not only the direction, but also the duration. In the day, in the night, I do not quit. And there is what we might call a holy spiritual defiance. My soul refuses to be comforted. I'm unwilling to give up and to settle for something less than God. Derek Kidner, commenting on this passage, puts it this way, love will not easily accept a parting. It's a faith-filled entreaty. And God gives us these words to rescue us from our unbelief. The temptation is to turn in and down, but God gives us these words. He speaks truth in love to turn us up and out, to seek Him. But there's not only faithful entreaty in verses 1 and 2, in verses 3 through 6, there's painful memory. Notice how the passage is bracketed at the beginning in verse 3 and at the end of verse 6. There is personal remembrance. I remember God. He's looking back and he's sizing things up. Today is not the same as yesterday. He's experiencing great loss. The loss of the person. The loss of the person's impact. Where is God? Many of you have lost someone you love. And you know keenly the pain when you think back and remember that person. I'll never forget the first Thanksgiving in November many years ago after my father died in October. I was sitting in the chair that he always sat in for Thanksgiving, and it just was not the same. And you know what that's like. The person is missing. And the impact of the person is missing. And that's what's happening here in the psalm. I remember God, how it was yesterday. But today, it's not like that. And at the center, there's that personal pain. I moan. I faint. I'm speechless. I cannot speak. I'm sleepless. My eyelids are kept open. Again, I want these words to bring comfort to you because God is giving us window into the human experience, words that capture our experience of loss. In other words, God understands you. He understands exactly what you are experiencing. He's dialed in. He sees it all. He's not aloof. He gets you. There's faithful entreaty. There's painful memory. 
And thirdly, in verses 7, 8, and 9, there's searching inquiry. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? Notice two sets of phrases. Again, verse 7 and verse 9, this portion is bracketed by this honest recognition that the Lord has turned His face, spurning anger. But at the center, there is a series of unthinkable questions. And the psalmist is asking the question in all of them, is this forever? Is there no more favor? Is there no more steadfast love? Are there no more promises to be kept? Is there no more gracious dealing? Is there no more compassion? Imagine waking up in a world in which the sun did not rise. That's that's the experience here. Imagine waking up to a world in which His face did not shine. It's unthinkable. It's, it's a heartbreaking future. You know, no doubt you're like me, you tend to interpret God through the lens of your circumstances. And so when trouble comes, we can easily tend to think that God has changed. But in this particular passage, the truth about God is revealed in His name. It's not evident in the English translation, but the, the term used for the Lord here is Yahweh. I am, I change not. And so we're invited to bring our questions to this God, and when we do, then we begin to see that the inner contradictions, it it, it just can't be. He cannot and He will not change. So the passage is inviting us to remember the name, the God who changes not, to come to Him, to talk to Him, to bring your honest questions to Him when you've lost your will to worship, God gives us words that map our way back, words that invite your lamentation. But secondly, when you've lost your will to worship, God gives us words to map our way back, verse 10, 11, and 12, words that steer your determination. And this is the hinge on which the prayer turns. Our moments of overwhelming distress are the occasion for courageous faith. Notice how the psalmist puts it. Then I said, I will appeal to this. To the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty needs, deeds. Notice, first of all, the heart of determination. A heart that is active, not passive. I will appeal. I will remember. I will ponder. I will meditate. You know, one of my struggles in my Christian life is I can become so passive. I think I've probably mentioned this to you before. But I can wake up in a day of trouble and it's as though I'm, I'm watching my future unfold right before my eyes, on the movie screen of my mind. 
and I'm just very passive. I'm just watching the future unfold. Waking up and waiting for worship to happen only to be carried downstream. It's, it's a very passive approach. But this particular passage reminds us that the Christian life is a fight to see the hope that is stored up for us. And the Spirit of God sets free and renews our capacity to choose. I will appeal. I will remember. I will ponder. I will meditate. So notice the heart of determination, but notice secondly, the object of concentration. The years of the right hand of the Most High. The deeds of the Lord. The wonders of long ago. All of His work. His mighty deeds. Notice... He's not scattered, but He's very focused. He's not multitasking. He is, as one of my professors would put it, He's monotasking. He's focused on one thing. Laser beam focus. Have you ever thought to yourself or said to yourself, you know, I know God's truth in my head, but it doesn't change my heart. As Jonathan Edwards would put it, the truth is clear to you, but it's not real to you. Why is that? Because holy spiritual change requires concentration on God's deeds. I love one definition of biblical meditation. Meditation is mastication. It's like a lion beholding It's prey, and it can taste and see. It's dialed in, focused. Kids, I've got a Springer Spaniel, and I've also got some rabbits underneath the deck in the backyard. And my dog, Gunner, gets up to the glass door, and he sees the rabbit. Meditation is mastication. He is dialed in. He's focused. That's the idea. Singular focus. So imagine, maybe an image that uh, is a little more close to home. Imagine you fill your cup with hot water in the morning, and you take the tea bag, and you stick it in the water, but then you pull it up. The water does not come under the influence of the tea, does it? But when you let the tea bag steep and steep and steep, the water comes under the influence of the tea. And that's how biblical change happens. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the result is this singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Think of it this way, maybe to change the, uh, the metaphor. I remember Tim Keller, a uh, pastor in New York City, many years ago talking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. 
What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, it's like Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So, imagine it's 3 o'clock in the morning and there's not a cloud in the sky and you're nowhere close to downtown Grad Rapids. There's not a light post in the neighborhood. It's dark. It's clear. But the stars are shining, aren't they? And imagine each one of those shining stars represents some trouble you are facing and it catches your eye. It distracts you. It occasions anxiety. Twinkle, twinkle. It's got your attention. But three o'clock turns to four o'clock. And four o'clock turns to five o'clock. And five o'clock turns to six o'clock. And I look this up tomorrow morning at 6.11. Five o'clock, six o'clock turns to 11 after six. And what happens? The sun begins to shine. But the stars are still there. They're just being outshone. That's what it's like when the Word of Christ dwells in us richly, when we're focusing, when we're concentrating on how God has revealed Himself. The years of the right hand of the Most High. His mighty deeds, His mighty wonders, all of His work. The truth begins to shine. When you've lost your will to worship, God gives you words right here to map your way back. Words that steer your determination. I will ponder what God has done for me in Christ. Finally, when you've lost your will to worship, God gives you words that will map your way back. Words that fuel your celebration. Verses 13 through 20. Notice the focus then. It's the Exodus story. Salvation through the sea. And the psalmist begins with some confident declarations in verses 13, 14, and 15. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Did you notice something? Remember the language of I in the first half of the psalm? Did you notice that the language of I is now replaced at the end of the psalm with the language of you. The psalmist is talking to God. There's not this monologue getting lost in your own internal way of thinking. But he's talking to God. You saw our slavery in Egypt. That's the kind of God you are. The God who sees. And as you said to Moses, you have seen the affliction of your people. And you have decided to come down. And you did so. And you brought us back from slavery. And you brought us into freedom. Do you hear the confident declarations? You're talking to God. 
You're affirming what He's done. You have acted. But notice secondly, it begins to build with imaginative recollections. The Lord does battle with the sea. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. It's the Exodus story. In Scripture, the waters are often an image of the forces of evil, the chaotic waters. And notice here how the hostile sea has taken the place of the Egyptian armies. And the waters saw you and they writhed. They're afraid. Why is that? Because in Scripture, the Lord is revealed as the divine warrior. When He comes, when He speaks, when He acts, He's like a terrible storm who sweeps the enemy away by His currents, who shakes the earth by His noise, who terrifies the land with His flashes of lightning. As he meditates on the wonders of God, he's seeing the drama of redemption playing out very vividly in the eyes of his heart. So he begins with confident declarations, he builds with imaginative recollections, and then he climaxes again with confident declarations. You were there, close at hand, leading us. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now here's what I want you to notice. Notice the path that your God takes. He does not go around the waters. He does not avoid the sea. His path is through the sea. He goes to the front lines of the battle for your sake. The divine warrior meets the enemy head on. That was the focus then. What's the focus now? Do you remember Jesus on the night of uh, the Mount of Transfiguration? And he's talking to Moses and Elijah. And the Gospel of Luke gives us a very interesting perspective. It says that Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah about the exodus that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. A new exodus. And the Gospel of Luke unfolds. And the time comes when Jesus sets his face like flint toward Jerusalem. Because he knows that his path is through the sea. He's the divine warrior who goes to battle for you. And that's exactly what's happening on Friday, isn't it? On Friday, Jesus comes under the waters for his people. 
He's not avoiding the sea. He's going right through the sea. And on Sunday, God raises His Son from the dead. The exodus is through the sea. That's how God accomplishes His salvation for His people. He meets the evil head on. What evil, whatever evil you're facing that's coming at you, whatever moral evil that's happening within you and overflowing from you, He's committed to do battle and to win the victory through the sea. And how might these words fuel your celebration? How might they fuel confident declarations of God's saving deeds in Jesus? How might they fuel imaginative recollections of God's mighty deeds in Jesus? You start talking to the Lord. No monologue, dialogue. You have an honest conversation with you. You saw me. You saw that I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and yet you did not leave me there. You came after me. You were my elder brother who came into the distant country to rescue me. Why would you do that? Because you delight in me. That's who you are. That's what you do. You came down in the fullness of time. You lived for me. You brought me out of slavery into the land of the living through the sea. You led your people like a flock. And you haven't stopped. Even today, you are leading me because you are my good shepherd. The king of love. That's who my shepherd is. My risen Lord Jesus. Do you see, when you've lost your will to worship God gives you in this text words that map your way back, words that will fuel your celebration. Now notice with me just as we wrap up in closing. Did you notice how the psalm just comes to an abrupt ending? We are no longer lost in sorrow we are lost in wonder as we behold the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are transfixed just like the psalmist. The words and deeds of God in Christ are outshining our trouble. The sun has come up. And He's outweighing and outshining all of the trouble we face. How did we get here? From lamentation, through determination, to celebration. This is God's path through the sea for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You give us words. You speak truth in love. Even when we can't even put words to our experience, You come near and You give us words when we're lost in the wood 
You give us words that orient us to where we're at and words that map our way out of the wood and into the land of the living. We are so grateful for Your Word. But Your Word is not what we're called to have a relationship with. Your words simply mediate a person, a living Redeemer. You point us to who You are and what You do in Christ. And we pray, I pray, for each person here who who is exactly in the place where the psalmist is. I pray that you would help her, that you would help him, that you would come to the rescue, and like a good shepherd, you would lead us through the sea into the land of the living, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we close our worship together. The Lord is my salvation.
May the God of peace, who, through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will, working in you what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus, to whom belongs glory forever and ever. Amen.